For those of you that may be visiting, we are covering through the season of Lent and up through Easter what are called the seven last words of Jesus on the cross. They're not individual words, but rather they're phrases. And these phrases convey a lot of truths about salvation and our relationship with the Lord. And in fact, our relationships with each other. And what's fascinating, because I've been participating in Good Friday, the seven last words of Jesus' service, a service that lasts from 12 to 3 for 33 years, I've had the opportunity to preach on most of these, if not all of these words. But I took over this service here at St. Luke's on the island about 20 years ago. And so I've been facilitating the service for 20 years. And it's interesting, in that time, if I give the different clergy on the island the option, this is the word that they will avoid. Now, why might that be? It's because all the other of the seven last words have theological punch to them, if you will. They're salvation issues. They're they're issues that have meat to them. And this is one of those that a lot of clergy really don't get excited about preaching about. And so actually, probably, I don't remember what it was, maybe 15 years ago, any time there was a new clergyman on the island, I would say, you want to preach in the seven last word service? And they'd say, that'd be great. And I said, you got the third word. They have no idea what the third word is. And then they'd call me up later and say, oh, great, thanks, Greg. And it's interesting, their reaction. But I I really believe it's because it's not one of the stronger words. Or is it? I mean, what's fascinating is sometimes we put it at a lower level and it's really not. Because it's really about if the Lord has broken into your life and changed you, transformed you, it's about how we love each other. How we see each other. How we see each other, especially in the church, that is supposed to be transformed by the power of God. Transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and different in our relationships with each other. And therefore, be a witness to the world. And the question is, are we? I mean, has the Lord really penetrated your heart and your mind and your life so that you really understand how you're supposed to be transformed? And I love the fact that this word is found in John's gospel for several reasons. Number one, I love the gospel of John. And I love to teach it. This is the first of three words found in John's gospel. We will end up seeing two other of these words down the road. But this is the first word. And it's interesting that John never mentions his name in this verse. He refers to himself as the beloved disciple. He doesn't even say apostle, he says disciple. He's trying to be humble about the fact that, you know, this was me, but in a a sense he's saying, this was me. You know how we do that? Sometimes we tell stories and it's like we're hinting that it's us, but we don't really tell that it's us. Because we're kind of fake trying to be humble. But John is saying, the beloved disciple. So this is John. And if you know anything about John, John is in the inner circle. And what I mean by the inner circle of the apostles in particular is 
you will see several times in Scripture the reference to Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He, they were privileged to experience Jesus speaking with Moses and Elijah. Probably the only people in their human life that ever saw Moses and Elijah. Believers, you know, after they die, will get a chance to see Moses and Elijah. But they got to see Moses and Elijah. Jesus basically conferring with them. Probably talking about the prophecies that he has fulfilled and will fulfill. But it's a wonderful scene, and Peter, James, and John got to experience that. Peter, James, and John got to experience the raising of the little girl from the dead. Peter, James, and John were asked by Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, one of his darkest hours, to pray with him. So these three were privileged, and John knew that he was one of these inner circle, and he even knew so much that he was loved by Jesus that he refers to himself as the beloved disciple. Now, I just want to qualify something because I think if you really understand what he's saying, it doesn't mean that he's saying he's better than anybody else. What he's saying is he knew he was loved. You know, sometimes in families, some children think that one of the other siblings is being loved more by their parent than they are. Have you ever seen that sibling rivalry kind of thing with the parents and everything? You know, and for those of you that have multiple children, you don't love your children any better, but you love them differently because they're different. And some are more different than others. That's the reality. I mean, I refer to my own children as having parental whiplash. Because my first is a musician, and she's got that artsy temperament. And then my second is a captain in the Green Berets. They are nothing alike. And then I've got my third, who's like happy-go-lucky. He's eventually working on being a CEO. I mean, three different children with different personalities. And I love them all the same in a different way. Equally, I love them. But how you love them and what you do with them and how you speak with them and how you deal with them is different because they're all different. My Two of my siblings accused me on more than one occasion of being my mom's favorite. And finally, my mom got tired of them saying that. In fact, right before she died, my sister said it to my children. Well, Greg's mom's favorite. And we actually get along, by the way, my sister and I. But my mom said to them, I don't love Greg any more than the rest of you. He's just the easiest. (laughs) Now some of you might find that hard to believe. Which tells you how dysfunctional my family was. But we're all dysfunctional. And we all come from dysfunctional families. No matter how functional yours is, it's dysfunctional because you're all sinners. We're all sinners. And so there's always a level of dysfunction and challenge in the relationships. That's the nature of family. You know, even if not in your immediate family, you know that uncle or that cousin that is just a real challenge. And you might be that in one of their eyes. You don't know. 
But that's family. And you're supposed to love family, aren't you? And what's interesting in this particular situation is that Jesus sees his own brothers and sisters. And he chooses John. Now, why would he choose John? Well, he chose John to be the son and Mary to be the mom of John and for them too to now have a family relationship because they knew his mom and John, Jesus' love. And they loved him. And because of that love, what Jesus is saying is, you're now family. You're now to love each other in the way that I love. That's what he's saying. And we don't always get that. But when we understand what Jesus is saying to Mary and John, it should have an impact on us in our relationships with each other. Because of seeing that. Now let's consider Mary just for a second. Mary didn't always understand Jesus. That's clear from the scriptures. I mean, she had the best intentions when it was announced to her by the angel Gabriel, you're going to have this son, it's going to be God's son, and you're going to be the mom. And her response was, behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. In other words, use me how you want. I'll do this. I want to do this. But was she totally ready? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I mean, not long after this, they go to the temple and Simeon and Anna lift this child up and they're celebrating this child as the one who's going to save Israel. And I'm sure that threw Mary a little bit because she didn't fully understand the impact. And then when Jesus was at the temple at the age of 12, we're told that Mary pondered all these things in her heart when Jesus says, I have to be about my father's business. So there were times Mary didn't fully understand Jesus and who he was and what his role was. In fact, we're told in Scripture that she was outside with Jesus' brothers and sisters ready to take him home because they thought he had lost his mind. Again, she didn't fully comprehend what was going on with him and who he was. And even at the cross, knowing, knowing that this son was that promised person, that Messiah, knowing that at one point early in his ministry, before he did his first miracle, she said, hey, listen to my son, he can do this. And he ended up changing water to wine, and she saw it. She experienced many things, but still she didn't fully understand. There's no question. But she loved him. Just like there are people in our lives we may not fully understand, but we love them. John the Apostle. John the Apostle who walked with Jesus through those special times like the Transfiguration in the Garden of Gethsemane. Seeing a child raised. He would be on a boat with all the other apostles and Jesus walked on water and calmed the wind and the waves and and they're basically saying, who is this guy? He didn't fully comprehend. I'm sure 
standing next to the cross after what Jesus said about basically he's the Messiah. He's God. What he's doing hanging on a cross dying. John didn't fully comprehend, but he was the only apostle there. And if you read John 20, when it talks about Peter and John running to the tomb, the only two apostles who ran to the tomb, and they got to the tomb, and John writes of himself in chapter 20, he believed, John speaking of himself, but didn't understand. Interesting. So what Jesus is saying is, even though, Mom, even though, John, you don't fully understand what's going on, you're beginning to understand, you see my kind of love, and I want you to begin to live that with each other. And then after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, and the the love becomes one of the fruit of the Spirit, then they're able to, with his kind of love. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in their hearts and their lives. They believed That's why Jesus didn't say to his brothers and his sisters, make sure you take care of mom. Because at this point, they were not open to him. In fact, if you look at John 7, John also talking about this, his brothers basically taunted him, say, why don't you go down to Jerusalem where you can get all kinds of followers? In other words, they're probably saying, get away from us. And so why would he say to his brothers or sisters, take care of mom? Because they didn't really understand the depth of love that God really wants for our lives. The kind of love where Jesus washes feet. The kind of love where Jesus dies on a cross for us. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. That's the kind of love that we are to embody. Which is why belief is what changes us to be able to do, to share, to live that kind of love. That John didn't fully comprehend at the cross, he was beginning to understand as Jesus is laying down his life. But after the resurrection, and then after Pentecost, he would comprehend, he would experience He would be empowered to live that kind of love because he saw the power of the resurrection, the power to defeat sin and death. And he experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which all believers are meant to experience. So when we really believe, when we really understand, it's no longer our strength, it's his strength. It's no longer our ability to love, it's his love that changes our hearts and lives. And Jesus knew that they would live into this commitment. You know how sometimes we make commitments, we have good intentions, and we just don't live into it? In relationships? In caring for people? In self-sacrificial love? See, it ends up being self-centered. Because we don't have that strength, we don't have that power. This kind of love, this self-sacrificial love that we see in Jesus, for our sake, comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Greek actually has four words for love. 
You know, some of you have heard this many times in your lives. And not just from me, but from other people. But there's eros, and there's philia, and there's storge, and there's agape. Four kinds of love in Greek. Which is so much more helpful in understanding the varieties of love. You know, in our lives, we say things like, I love my wife, I love my dog, I love pizza. Is it different kind of love? I hope so. But we have one word for it. It's really not that rich of a word in some ways. It's when we know and understand the depth of love. You know, Eros kind of love, the first kind of love, is really about getting our pleasures met, our happiness, fulfilling our desires. So a lot of times that kind of love, which transfers into romantic love, because we're drawn and we're attracted to someone and it brings us pleasure to be with them. See, but then brotherly love, philia. That's the kind of love we share with family that we're committed to. And our friends that we call brothers. Because they're friends, but they're more than that. That's why Jesus in the upper room, after he washed their feet, he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And then there's storge, the nurturing kind of love. The caring for kind of love. You know, it's interesting, when we have little children, and when we have the elderly in our lives, our parents become older, our grandparents, our children when they're little infants, they need that storge kind of love. And we don't have a problem with that. We don't have a problem with when we're dating people, loving that person and accommodating that person. The eros as well as the storge is kicking in. It's after they're married that the rules that applied or didn't apply when they were dating change. Well, now they're married to me. They should know better. But agape love is always constant. It's always self-sacrificial. And that's the kind of love that he's looking for. That's the kind of commitment that he's looking for. And that's why John referred to himself as the beloved. The beloved disciple. Because he understood. When Jesus lived, he watched him share his ministry with compassion. When Jesus lived and walked with him, he experienced the washing of feet, the patience, the kindness, the love, the gentleness. And then he saw Jesus die on a cross for him and understood the depth of his love. That's what Jesus is trying to talk about here. And when we come to faith in Christ, as John 1 says, we have the power to become his children. And once we're his children, now we're part of his family. His family. Which means we're blood relatives through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're meant to have those kind of relationships with each other in the church. 
That's why it's not just about coming on Sunday morning and getting out as fast as you can. I did my duty. I did my thing. I'm out of here. It's about being part of a family. Caring for each other. Serving each other. Serving the community because we're with one another. In small groups together. We're coming to know each other. We're coming to be as family. And it doesn't mean that everybody in here is easy. Or as easy as you are. Or you think you are. Okay? doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we're love, loving, committed to each other. And that's meant to be a witness to the world. There is no perfect person. And that's why when scripture talks about love, think about some of the words that it uses. That we are forbearing one another. That means you bear with people while you're trying to figure out how to love them. Long-suffering. I love that term. Because sometimes with some people, it's long-suffering. It doesn't mean, okay, there comes a point that that's it, you're done. End suffering. It doesn't say that. It says long-suffering. Okay? That's why the word patience Love is patient. I mean, over and over again, when you begin to see the words that Paul uses and Jesus uses, when they talk about love, it doesn't mean it's all rosy and fun and easy. That's not what Scripture talks about. Not when you're in community. Not when you're family and you're really loving and serving sacrificially of each other. That's why you can't do it on your own. That's why you need the cross of Christ. That's why you need the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Because you can't. Not this kind of love. Not for everybody that comes into your life. Because everybody in here is different. See, when you really understand the impact of what Jesus is saying, it means love is costly. It cost him for our sake. It costs us. You know, I love some of the words he used in the upper room right before he died when he was trying to explain this to his apostles. This is the passage about the new commandment. When he had gone out, that's Judas, because Jesus really couldn't say this quite to Judas. Jesus said, now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. In other words, Jesus is in the process of being glorified. That means his death and resurrection. Because the cross shows that he paid our price because of how much he loved us. And then the resurrection vindicates that he has the power over sin and death. Little children, I am with you a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said the Jew, to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going you cannot come. I give you a new commandment. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. Just as I've loved you. In other words, self-sacrifice. Giving of yourself. When's enough enough? When you die. John 15. Still in the upper room. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. His kind of love is the truth that we need. And this is the truth. This is my commandment. 
that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends. So Jesus is saying, that's the guideline. You lay down your life, your pride. Sometimes your rights as you perceive them. Because we have a call in our lives to love sacrificially. And like I said before, I'll say again, we can't do it on our own. That's why Jesus would say to his family, when he's talking about who are the real kin in his family, if you will, he's talking about, well, I'll I'll read it to you. While he was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does my will. In other words, whoever comes to me and gives themselves to me and allows the Holy Spirit to work in them. You know, in my years here, I've had several mothers. Trust me. Mothers who love me, mothers who want to direct me, protect me. And it's a blessing in a lot of ways. I've had brothers and sisters here. I have brothers and sisters now. And mothers. That's the church. That's the church. That's what the church is meant to be. And that's the kind of love we're to share and be committed to. That's why this word. Behold your mother. Behold your son. Let's pray. As we're bowed in prayer, I heard a phrase this week about the coronavirus. Wash your hands so that you're able to wash one another's feet. The washing of ourselves is baptism. Really understanding what baptism is meant to be. That we die to sin and die to self and rise to newness of life, cleansed and transformed by the grace of God, by the power of God. And then we're able to wash one another's feet. Lord God, I pray this day that you would teach us more and more what that means. To love one another as you love us. That we would more and more see the depth of your love on the cross, the gift of your cross, the gift of salvation that you save us from ourselves, our sin, our self-centeredness, to be able to love others as you love. Lord, transform us by your grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Enable us and empower us to love as you love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.